0: Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, we're going to start at verse 26, and then we're going to uh, jump from verse 26 to, to verse 32 and read through 43. This is the account of the crucifixion, and it is also the account of a vile sinner Who truly believed, and that moment received forgiveness from Jesus. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Two other men, both criminals, also led him out. I'm sorry, we're at verse 32 now. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they were crucified. There they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Let's listen and hear the word of God preached.
1: There's a man in heaven today that doesn't belong there. At least that's what many people would say. For there's many people in hell who were far more religious and moral than him. They went to church more often. They prayed more. They tried harder to love their neighbor and to keep the golden rule. They did far more kind things for others than this man ever did. And nevertheless, the facts are these. Today, they are in hell and he is in heaven. Who is this man? How did he get there? We'll get to that in a moment. But this man being in heaven is only offensive to those who think that heaven is a reward to be earned by those who deserve it rather than a free gift to be received by those who don't deserve it. And every form of false religion, by whatever name it be, has this as its foundation, that heaven is for those who work hard enough to deserve it. And there's something in the, the heart of natural man that likes that because self-salvation gives them a reason to be proud of themselves and to boast rather than coming to Christ as an unworthy beggar and receiving grace purely as a gift from the Lord Jesus. And so if you ask many why they think they're saved, they always sing with, with Maria in the Sound of Music Well, I must have done something good. That accounts for why I'm going to heaven and other people aren't. Well, in our text this morning, we have an account of a man's conversion that cuts the legs right out from under all such ideas. It's Luke 23 that we just heard read, where we find this man dying on a cross right beside Jesus of Nazareth. And everything about this man and his conversion shouts to us that salvation is all of grace and has nothing to do with a man's own works. Now, the first thing we're told about this man is that he was a criminal, a criminal. Outside the Bible, this word uh, is used for bandits and thieves and pirates Kids, you know what pirates do. They steal. And they'll murder if they need to. Well, that was this man. If he saw something he wanted, he took it, even though it belonged to others. And if they tried to stop him, they might have paid with their lives. Criminal. It's the word that characterized him. It defined him. He had lived a life of crime. Crime. Matthew and Mark call him a robber. And now at last he's in trouble with the law. He's caught, he's tried, he's found guilty of such crimes as deserves the the worst penalty, the death penalty. A punishment the Romans reserved for the very worst of criminals. The degrading and torturous death by crucifixion. But this man is not only in trouble with Roman law. He's also in trouble with God's law. Whether he ever had a Bible and read the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. It was written upon his mind and heart, his conscience. Anytime someone stole from him, he knew it was wrong. He didn't like it at all. But that didn't keep him from stealing from others. He had no regard for God or his law, no respect for God's authority over him to command him what to do and not do. He did as he pleased and he treated God as a nobody, ignored him as the greatest irrelevance to his life. He loved himself. He lived for himself, not for God and neighbor. He was a criminal before God. And so he not only has death by crucifixion awaiting him, but that will then usher him into the presence of the judge of all the earth to receive from him what is due him for the misdeeds that he has done. What a horrifying prospect this man woke up to that morning. Death by crucifixion and then everlasting torments of hell, yawning to receive him. Well, this is our criminal. Now, notice with me his salvation by grace alone. The first thing we need to see is God's gracious providence. God's gracious providence, control of the events of this man's life. We don't know how long he was on death row, awaiting his execution. But finally, the day arrived, and it was Friday morning. And as he leaves his prison cell, he knows he's not coming back. This is it. He's heading to the slow and agonizing death of the cross. And so carrying his cross, he's led through the streets of Jerusalem and on out, outside the gates to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there he's nailed to his cross, hoisted up into the air, and left to suffer and die a painful, slow death. And he's not alone this day. Uh, We're told there's another criminal being crucified with him, perhaps a partner in crime. They're being crucified together. Whether or not that's true, more importantly, on a cross right between the two of them is another man. And the notice board nailed to his cross says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This is none other than the eternal son of God, who, because of God's purpose and plan to save sinners, became a man and visited this planet and went to the cross and died in the place of sinners that he might save them. What a scene. The sinless savior hanging between these two great sinners now, to the physical eye of the passerby and the crowd there, it looked like three great sinners. Here they are. They're all getting what they deserved. The worst punishment of all. Indeed, Isaiah says that he was numbered with the transgressors. And yet he's there as the one who is holy, blameless, and pure. What a difference between them. The two criminals are getting what they deserve. Jesus is getting what his people deserved as he bore their sins in his body to the tree and suffered the punishment that would bring peace with God to all who trusted in him. Think how close our criminal was to eternal damnation. Damnation. A life of crime has brought him to the moment of execution. Satan has been leading his captive and he has him just one step away from eternal torments. That was his goal. And he's right there. Satan's licking his chops, another one damned. He hates you. He wants you in hell, just as he wanted this criminal in hell. But from eternity past, God had other plans. And other purposes for this criminal, He was chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Romans 11:5 says. And as we begin to see God's gracious plan for him in unfolding, it's in this gracious providence that on this Friday morning he finds himself dying just a few feet away from the only Savior of sinners, the very one who could save him from eternal torments and give him eternal life. He's right there beside him. And think how much turned on that fact alone. If this thief had been executed a day earlier or a day later, he would have missed Jesus. And to miss Jesus... Is to miss heaven. What grace. What a gracious providence. That that they should be executed on the same day. In the same place. Within talking distance of each other. What a strange way to be brought together. But here they are. Needy sinner. Gracious savior. Brought together by God's undeserved providence. Now, someone here this morning might be more like this criminal than you realize. You may be in trouble with the law, may not be in trouble with the law of the land, but you are in trouble with the law of God. As we just read from James chapter 2, though you may not have robbed, if you desire things that you don't have, you covet, that too is a sin. And if we've broken one law, we're guilty of all of it. We're lawbreakers. You're in trouble with the law. And God is a great king. He's given us these righteous laws. They're good laws. And he expects to be obeyed. And there's a hell to pay for those who don't. And yet you too break this law of God like this criminal did. Whenever you want to. Maybe not the same laws, but you do break them. And that's what sin is. Everyone who sins breaks the law. They, 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 they ignore God's law. They, they transgress it. They do what they want instead of what God wants. And that means that some of you, just like this criminal, are, are just a breath away from everlasting hell. And in that important way, you're just like this criminal, though you may be a law-abiding citizen of the land. But what a gracious providence. You're still alive today. You're still in the land of the living. And the door to the ark of salvation is still open. And Jesus Christ has drawn near in the preaching of his word. Here he is. He's come wherever two or three are gathered in his name. He's here by his spirit. And so it's true of you as it was true of that criminal. You the sinner and Jesus the Savior. Oh, hear him. Hear him today. Well, what happened that day? Well, though this needy sinner is so close to the Savior, he's not seeking mercy from him. He's rather mocking him, making fun of him. What a hard heart that in his dying moments he would use his last breaths to ridicule the Son of God, to increase his pain. Now, Luke doesn't tell us this fact, but both Matthew and Mark do. They speak of the two robbers who were crucified with Jesus, one on his right, the other on his left. They tell of those who passed by hurling insults at Jesus. They tell about uh, the religious leaders and the soldiers also mocking him. And then Matthew adds, in the same way, the robbers, plural, plural. The robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Mark says the same. Both criminals, the one on the right and the left, got in on the act, piling it on, hitting Jesus while he's down. So that's the gracious providence. Here they are within earshot of those blessed words of life from Jesus. The second thing we need to see, not only the gracious providence, but the gracious conversion of this man. Something incredibly happened to one of these two criminals. As he hung there on his cross beside Jesus, a wonderful change came over him. It's it's conversion. He became what he was not. It's a supernatural thing. It's what our confession of faith calls effectual calling. That he was effectually called out of a state of spiritual death to grace and salvation in Jesus Christ. His mind was, was suddenly enlightened and he began to understand the things of God. And who he was and what he needed. His heart of stone was replaced with a heart of flesh. With new desires after Christ. And his will was renewed. Even as God was effectually, effectively drawing him to Christ. Apart from which he never would have or could have come to Christ. As Jesus says in John 6:44, No one can come to me unless the father draws him. And that's what was happening here. Effectually the father was drawing him to faith in Jesus Christ now that was all of grace there was nothing that this this criminal did to prepare himself to be called by by god there was nothing he did that made him a A likable person to be called. That that qualified him to be called. Nothing at at all. Saul of Tarsus was another one who was called. Indeed, every one of you who are in Christ were called. But Saul of Tarsus, another great sinner who hated Christ, was suddenly called to Christ. And in Galatians 1.15, he says, God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace. The fact that I was called and brought to Jesus Christ is all of grace. 2 Timothy 1, 9, God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Now that's what happened to this one thief. He was supernaturally called and brought to Christ, converted by grace alone. The grace of God found him dead in sin, a vile heart, mocking Jesus, deserving wrath. But the grace of God changed him and made him a new man in Christ. Right there on the cross. And that inner change of heart was immediately seen in his outward behavior. His mockery stopped. He condemns himself now and defends Jesus. He believes on him and he prays to him for mercy. Now it's Luke alone of the four gospel accounts who tells us about this amazing conversion. He records the two indispensable parts of conversion, of every conversion. If somebody's conversion, you'll always find these two parts to conversion. Faith and repentance. It's like two sides to the same coin. Two elements of what conversion is. Both the work of God's saving grace in the heart. Luke says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Christ... But the other criminal no longer joined in, but instead rebuked him. And that's where we see this robber's repentance. So let's look first at his repentance, and then we'll look at his faith. Repentance. What is repentance? It's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. A change of the mind towards sin, towards self, toward the Savior. Let's look at each of those. It's a change of mind towards sin. Now, just minutes earlier, he'd he'd found pleasure in making fun of Jesus along with all the others. He was happy to be sitting in the seat of the scornful, poking fun at Jesus. But no more. He's lost his appetite for mocking. He now finds it repulsive to him and repudiates it and turns away from it in disgust. That's a different mind about sin, And you've seen it right here on this cross. It happened. And so he stops mocking Jesus and he rebukes his fellow criminal for continuing to do so. Don't you fear God? He shouts over to him. Since you are under the same sentence. By which he meant a death sentence. We're not coming down alive. Haven't you thought about that fact? And where we'll be? Just a few hours from now, meeting our maker, giving account of our lives to the judge of all. It's like our criminal on his cross suddenly woke up. Indeed, the, the scriptures use that kind of language to describe what it means to be converted. That Remember the prodigal son, he came to his senses. It's like he, he woke up. And suddenly he saw things that were always there that he didn't see. And so our criminal wakes up to the reality of God. He's now alive to spiritual things. The unseen God is a reality. Judgment to come. Heaven and hell. He didn't give a thought to that. But now he he thinks of it. And now sin is something serious. It wasn't serious before. He took it so lightly. Sure I sin. Who, who doesn't sin? God will forgive. That's... But amazing change of mind toward his sin and wherever the grace, the saving grace of God comes, there's always a change of mind towards sin so that what was once loved is now hated and what was hated is now loved. And all of this by God's grace alone for for the grace of God has appeared to all men. Bringing salvation and it teaches us the grace of God that saves, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions And to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The grace of God, you see, it changes our attitude towards sin. And that's God's grace that found this man loving sin and immediately changed him there on his cross. But it wasn't just his view of sin that changed, there was a change in his view of self. He goes from a high view of himself to a humble view of himself. You say, how do you know he had a high view of himself? Because anyone who pokes fun at another has lifted himself up over that person. Bullies who make fun of others are proud. They think they're better than the other. And from their high perch, they look down on others. You see, mockery is an arrogant sin. It elevates ourselves above the one we mock. And this man was so proud that he saw himself above even Jesus, the sinless son of God. And... That he would mock him. Oh, how high he was on his perch. But listen to him now. We're punished justly. We're getting just what we deserve. Now that's a different tune, isn't it? What a change of mind toward himself. Humbled now for his sin. Condemning himself. Putting himself down. And in public. In front of the the masses who had gathered to watch. Watch confessing his guilt one of the hardest things to find in prison is someone who deserves to be there just ask them wasn't me no one's guilty they all got trapped it was i was framed wasn't they got the wrong guy it is the nature of sin to excuse ourselves to deny how sinful and guilty we are for His own eyes, the wicked man, flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. But this criminal now has a new view of self, and he's making no excuses. With nothing good to say for himself, he owns his sin and guilt. And converting grace always does that. It brings us to Christ with nothing good to say for ourselves. We own our sin. We own our deservingness of hell. Everyone I've ever baptized has confessed that, they got, that if they got what they deserved, they would be in hell. How do you view your sin? How do you view yourself? This man on the cross got a new view of himself, a right view, and it humbled him. But then he also got a new view of the Savior A changed mind toward Jesus. In every conversion, one of the new things that replaces the old things is the way we view Jesus. Listen to how Paul puts it. He he got a new view of Jesus, didn't he? He went from trying to kill every follower of his to preaching him. And and Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, from now on, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's how we view Jesus before. But from now on, we don't view them... From a worldly point of view Uh, though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer for if anyone is in Christ he's a new creature the old's gone the news come and all of this is from God that's grace and so the criminal starts that day with a low view of Jesus he saw no beauty in him he saw nothing in that man on the middle cross that would make him want him. That would make him want to to stop his life of sin and to follow him. He, He saw no beauty in him. And mocked him. And saw him as a religious fanatic to poke fun at. A joker king just to kick around with everyone else. But all of it's changed now. He's looking at Jesus in different light. Spiritual eyes have been given him. Eyes opened by grace alone. And he goes from mocking Jesus to speaking in his defense. What's his view of Jesus now? We are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. You see, he's, he's, he's saying he's righteous. He's holy. He's not a criminal like us. He's praising. What a high view of Jesus Christ he has. And he's standing up for Jesus when it was the most unpopular time to do so. When the whole crowd was mocking him. He alone is found praising him. What a change. A new view of Jesus. And that's what the, the grace of God does in repentance to a sinner. Changes his mind toward his sin, toward himself, toward this Savior. And this repentance is pure grace, a gift of God. He didn't earn it. He didn't prepare himself for for it. Unless you call mocking Jesus preparing yourself for grace. No. Repentance is a gift of grace. And right along with repentance is the gift of faith. Faith. Trust in Christ. Believing on Christ. And he's given faith as well. Now. Now. Where did that faith come from? Well, it came from God, but how did he bring it to this man? We're not told exactly, but if if you think about the different insults that were being hurled at Jesus while this man is hanging beside Jesus, he heard them. He heard a lot of gospel hanging on his cross that day. He saved others. He's a savior, huh? Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the Messiah of God, the chosen one. Oh, this is the Messiah, the chosen one of God. You hear? He heard that. And then we can hear his faith and his cry for mercy. He cries out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. John Calvin, who was not given to exaggeration, says that since the world was created, there's been no more remarkable example of faith than this man. This man now sees Jesus as a king with a kingdom. What others are only mocking, he sees as reality. That Jesus is a king. He doesn't believe for a moment that death is the end of this man. But that beyond death, he has a coming kingdom. And so he commits himself and his eternal salvation to the mercy and protection of that king. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's remarkable faith. When you think what his eyes saw as he took a glance over at the middle cross that day, what what did he see? Well, there was the emaciated form of a man whose face was swollen, from having been beaten beyond recon- human recognition. Isaiah 52, nailed to a cross in naked shame. His blood-streaked body heaving in pain and dying in apparent weakness, just like they were. That's what he saw. Oh yes, and the sign for sure. It said, "Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews." The King. Of the, but that was only Pilate's cruel joke this is a king for you Jews he suits you guys look at him and though they wanted him to change what he'd written what I've written I've written he, he loved getting one up on them because they had pushed him to the crucifixion of Jesus and his 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 Throne, it's a cruel cross. His crown, a crown of thorns, pounded into his head, mocking his claim. They dressed him like a king in pure mockery. And yet it's precisely then, when he's despised and rejected of men, when to all outward appearances Jesus looked like no king at all, that the criminal, with these new eyes of faith, sees him as the king. And the king who can change his eternity and he hangs all of his hopes for the the next life upon that king. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He places a value on Jesus' kingdom as more desired than life itself. And he sees in Jesus a king who is gracious and forgiving. Remember, he was there in earshot when Having crucified Jesus and mocked him, he heard Jesus' response saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I'm sure this criminal never heard that coming from the mouth of a man crucified. But he heard it that day that there's there's forgiveness for these murderers. Could there be forgiveness for me, Jesus? Remember me. Nothing good to say for himself. Hanging all his hopes for heaven upon this crucified King Jesus. And it's then that he heard the sweetest words that any man, any dying man has ever heard. When Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. What a scene. Two crosses side by side. One a wicked sinner deserving hell begging for mercy. And the other, a gracious Savior promising forgiveness and heaven. Consider the gracious promise. Thirdly, we've seen the gracious providence, the gracious conversion, now the gracious promise, the assurance from Jesus. He introduces his words with this statement, I tell you the truth. Kids, Jesus always told the truth. But sometimes when he told the truth, the truth was so amazingly shocking that people had a hard time believing it was true. And when that was the case, Jesus often introduced his remarks by saying, I tell you the truth. You might have a hard time believing this, but I'm telling you now, this is for real. This is true. I tell you the truth. Today, you, you, Yes, I'm talking to you, criminal, con man, criminal that you are. Today, you. I know all about your past. Yet today, you will be with me. You with me. What a combination. You, the sinner with me, the sinless savior and king. But you see, that's why he came. That's why I've come, to seek and to save what's lost. That's why I'm dying on this cross, to save my people from their sins, dying the death they deserve, to die under God's condemnation so that whoever believes in me should not perish but have everlasting life. You with me. That is eternal life, to be with Jesus forever and ever. And it all begins today, my friend. Today, you Will be with me in paradise. Is today the day you're going to die? Then today you'll be with me in paradise. Not in some purgatory where you must work off your sin debt. And suffer so many years of punishment. Before you make your way up to heaven. No. There's no punishment left for believers. For the punishment that has brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. When he had purged our stains, he took his seat above. Calvary is the only purgatory there ever was, and it's there that Jesus purged our sins. He got rid of them. He wiped them out. He took them away by suffering for them himself. So there's now no condemnation remaining for those who are in Christ Jesus. On the cross, it was hell for him that it might be eternal paradise for us. I tell you the truth, man. This is true today. You will be with me in paradise. And if this poor thief on the cross should doubt it there and then, Jesus assures him, this is the truth, friend. It is no lie. And sinner friend, if ever you should doubt it, hear the words of our Savior to this wicked man who had lived his whole life in sin and at the very end of a wicked life was assured that today you will be with me in paradise. Well, that's the... Amazing providence of grace, the the gracious conversion and the gracious assurance and promise of Jesus. And I would ask you, does not everything about this conversion shout that salvation is by grace alone? Everything about it. If salvation is not by grace alone, this guy's in big trouble. Think about it. If he's got to contribute any good works of righteousness of his own to merit heaven, it's over for him. He, he's got none to offer. He's wasted his whole life sinning right up to the very end. No more talk about good deeds weighing outweighing bad deeds. He's run out of time. He's got no opportunity to make amends for sins of the past. He can't come down from his cross and do some works of penance to earn his way into God's favor. He can't be baptized. He can't go to church. He can't help the needy. He can't do any of these good works. He's nailed to a cross at the end of a wicked life and going immediately from that cross to meet his maker. And you know what Jesus didn't say? I'm sorry you blew it. It's just too late for you. If you can't do anything for me, I can't do anything for you. No. He said today if you trust in me, today you will be with me in paradise. Salvation is all of grace through faith alone in Christ alone. There's only one gospel that saves, and Paul calls it the gospel of the grace of God. I think it was Spurgeon who said, if your gospel is not good for all, it's not good for any. If your gospel is not good news for this dying thief, then it's not good news for anybody. Now, how could he say that? Because the only saving gospel, according to Jesus, is that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes on him. Do you have a whosoever gospel? Good news to offer to one and all? Or or does it exclude the real bad people, wicked thieves on their crosses with only a few seconds remaining or minutes remaining in life? You see, it's only the whosoever gospel that is the true gospel. The only gospel that saves is the come-as-you-are gospel. Not a clean-up-your-act-first gospel. Because if you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. Because you can't clean up your act. The fact is that nobody in heaven deserves to be there. Not just this guy. Everybody else who's there other than Jesus Christ doesn't belong to be there if you get there by meriting it. But that's the only way anyone gets to heaven. It's by acknowledging you don't deserve it and accepting Jesus and eternal life as the free gift that it is. And is that not the glory of the gospel? That we can say to any man, woman, boy or girl, whoever you are, whatever you've done and however long you've done it, if you will acknowledge your sin against God and your deservingness of eternal punishment and put your trust in what Jesus has done for sinners, he will save you now. That's the good news. That's why it's called the gospel of grace. It's the good news about the grace of God. And there's something wondrous about the timing of this conversion, that even as Jesus is here on the middle cross pouring out his life unto death, Eternal life was flowing to this hell-deserving sinner hanging on his cross. The first fruit of Jesus' atoning work. And as he's dying, the Father gives him the first convert after his atoning work. As the sin debt is being paid here, the sin debt is being forgiven over here. What a what a God. What a savior. Is this not a God to worship? This is a Savior who does helpless sinners good. And isn't it significant that the first fruit of the Savior's suffering, while even while on his cross, should be a conversion that makes unmistakably plain that the sinner's works or, or lack of them has nothing to do with salvation? That has everything to do with being a gift, freely given, not a reward earned. And that is the point God wants the world to get right. It's, it's like he's saying, look at this first convert after Jesus died, is here dying on the cross. Who is he? How did he get into heaven? Look closely and, and get the point that salvation is all of Grace. So let every unworthy sinner coming along afterwards take note of that. Salvation, the way to heaven is right here. Christ and him crucified. The gate, the very gate of heaven. But why? Why is God making this point so clear on Golgotha? Can't we read something of the heart of Jesus in this? You remember Hebrews twelve two. That it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. What was the the joy? Well, it was pleasing the father, doing exactly what he told him to. But it was also bringing many sons and daughters to glory with him. The joy of saving sinners. It's it's that joy. And this saving this sinner was no small part of our Savior's joy. that, That enabled him to endure the cross with all of its shame. For the joy of seeing this this wicked man brought to heaven, washed in the blood of Christ, sins forgiven. Can't you see the heart of Jesus? He's not reluctant to save. He delights to save all who trust in him. It's his joy. Well, Jesus is no longer hanging on the cross in apparent weakness. He's risen. From the dead, he's ascended into heaven, he's reigning, and he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. But there is right now in his heart in heaven no different heart than what he had on earth. He's more than willing and ready to save sinners. He delights. And if you throw yourself upon his grace and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, for Jesus' sake, he'll save you. And he'll do so with great delight. He's more full of grace than you could ever be a sin. That where your sin abounded, his grace much more abounds. So taste and see that the Lord is gracious. Go ahead, take him, believe him. He's far more gracious than you've yet known. And then go and magnify the God of grace. Well, that very day before the sun set, the soldiers came to the three crosses and they broke the legs with a hammer. They break the legs of the two criminals. They see Jesus is already dead. So somebody jabs him with a spear in his side and water and blood pours out. But these two criminals, they, they break their legs because without strong legs to push up on their feet and get it breath, they'll just hang down and suffocate and die sooner than they would have. The converted thief suffocated and died. And he found... It all happened just as Jesus said it would. Today you will be with me in paradise. That very day, he the sinner with King Jesus the Savior in paradise. You know, he's still there. He's still there. And and we'll see him one day with his Savior. I don't know how we'll recognize him. We're not even told what his name was. But I know this, he won't be singing, I must have done something right. He'll be singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain to purchase me for God. And so will everyone else around the throne. Oh, be sure you're there. Be sure you're there. Come to this Jesus today. We're going to sing because we, we want to start the song on earth. We're, we're, we've been made happy by grace. And so take your hymnal and turn to 188. And let's sing of this amazing, saving grace of Jesus. There's a fountain. There is a fountain that can cleanse and, and purify us. Where the vilest sinner can be made whiter than snow. Stand and sing, 188. If you'd like to talk further about that Savior and your need for him, We'd love to do that. Say something to me at the door. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what we've just read and heard from your word about that convert on the cross beside you, and all because of what you were doing on that middle cross, suffering the wrath that sinners deserve. And so we've seen ourselves in this man, we who are saved. And, and we thank you for that, that gospel of grace alone. No other gospel will suit us sinners. And so keep us amazed at grace, uh, amazed at the infinite distance between what we deserved and what we've received from our Savior. And, and bring others uh, to put their faith in this Savior, even these who are here today that need you. Thank you that we can know that you are ready and willing to receive them. And then send us into this world uh, to freely, we've received, to freely give. And so help us to give to others uh, the gospel of grace and the grace of the gospel. We ask for Jesus' praise. Amen.